All right, welcome today to Matthew survey class number 18. And that means we are on our final 10 chapter stretch toward the end of the book of Matthew. And then we'll move on to some other book, perhaps the book of Mark. Haven't made up my mind on which one will be next as of yet, but I'm assuming it'll be the book of, Ma uh, the book of Mark. So without any further delay, we'll get into Matthew chapter number 18, which is Matthew survey class 18. And in these classes, we read the scripture in order to familiarize you with the scripture. And we have very minimal comment, although we will make a comment right off the bat today. Matthew 18, verse number one, at that same time, excuse me, at the same time, came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And a lot of times if you hear this passage talked about in a sermon, it is and, and ought to be uh, brought forth in a, in a negative light. We don't want to be proud and, and be worried about who's going to be the boss or who's going to be in charge or this, that, or the other thing. But from a positive viewpoint, I would like to point out that these are uh, Christ's own disciples who are dealing with these things in their mind. And it shows us that the very best of Christian men, which I would consider the apostles to be the best of men, but really the best of men is really only representative of the whole race of man. And if we're saved, whether we're disciples of Christ or not, we still have human characteristics. Even if we've been born again, even if we've been indwelt by the Spirit, even if we've been called of God to do a, a great work, uh, then we ought to take a little bit of heart in this. Not, not dismiss the negative, but we ought to take a little bit of heart in the knowledge that these men are men of like passions as we are. They have the same kind of struggles as we do. And of course, that, that being the case, we being just as fallible as they are, should take the same correction as they took. And a lot of times people justify ungodliness by the fact that we're all ungodly and that we all have ungodly tendencies, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, is a great statement made by one of our great hymns. But at the same time, if we're all, if we're all in the same boat, if we all the, have the same flesh and we all have the same mind, then we all can take the same correction from God's Word, which is one of the chief uh, purposes that God has given us His Word to correct us. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so let remember that it's, it's, a, it's a comfort to me to know that the great apostles had the same fleshly problems that I do. Otherwise, had this not be recorded, I might have reason to doubt. But now I have reason to hope. I would have reason to doubt if their problems wasn't demonstrated to us in the course of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I might read it not see their struggles in the flesh and then assume that since I do have struggles in the flesh that I must be lacking something that they had. But really I take great comfort because I have the same Holy Spirit that they were partakers of. I have the same Redeemer. I have the same teacher in Christ. I have the same teacher in the Holy Spirit and still we have the same 
uh, problems. And so that's a great comfort to me knowing that there is hope for me and that, that I'm not lacking anything. Now, somebody might point out the Lord hadn't breathed on them and they hadn't been made partakers of the spirit in the sense of being born again. Uh, you can make all kinds of arguments for that, but yet Simon Peter has some definite problems even on up into the book of uh, Corinthians. You see that, uh, and the book of Galatians, uh, I should say, that uh, Simon Peter and other of the apostles still have problems that Paul had to correct them about. No doubt Paul needed to be corrected many times himself. There's no doubt about that because he is. Uh, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. He describes his own flesh as, uh, he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So Paul had problems and these disciples have problems so this is a great lesson that we can take away from this verse not just the negative but there's a great great positives and great reasons to hope inside of this same passage and jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them verse 2 and said verily i say unto you except ye be converted and become as little children ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven so there's a great passage here about uh, the, the Lord teaching about the kingdom of heaven and not who's necessarily going to be the greatest, but who is it that's going to humble themselves? Who's going to be converted and become like a little child? And conversion is going to bring you to a place where you're willing to be a disciple and you're willing to be a student. You're willing to be taught. And uh, that, uh, that same believer who's willing to be taught is not going to uh, uh, just concentrate a great deal on who's in charge or who's the greatest so i will begin at verse one again and read those passages once more at the at the same time came the disciples unto jesus saying who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said verily i say unto you except you be converted and become as little children ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven i can just imagine uh, the lord taking a little child here's all of his disciples sitting around and they're gathered in what we called in the marine corps a school circle and they're gathered around the teacher here and they're thinking they're they've arrived and they're part of this elite group and the Lord takes a little child and says for John to slide this way and says for Peter to slide that way and sets this little boy uh, down. It could have been a girl. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It'd probably make it a better story if it's a girl. But sets this little girl here in the midst of all these, you know, learned disciples and says, now, unless you be converted and be like this little child, you got yourself some problems. And so that uh, I, I can see the little kid sitting there being made their equal. And what, that, what kind of an effect that they must have had in their hearts and minds and how they must have thought about that for the next couple of days. And, and really probably bruised their ego, but it really helped them as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number three, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the uh, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, 
it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, just as a short comment, I would point out, uh, like in verse 4, he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is graced in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. So it's not a universal offense, not just an offense to anybody, but one of these little children that believe in him. So that's a great that's a great statement in and of itself, and it teaches its own lesson. I really don't have to make many more comments on that. There is a difference between little ones and little ones which believe in me. So pay attention to little phrases like that as you're studying the Word of God. Verse number 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting life. In this case, there would be some backlash against a verse that tells somebody to cut their own hand off. But I hope you would see the lesson of the verses and that this would be an extreme case, I would hope before you start cutting off limbs that you would try discipline first. And if you've got a wayward hand or a wayward foot, that you discipline that hand or that foot so that you wouldn't have to go to these great extremes. But the, the, the content of the verse is, is not negated by your discipleship. He's saying if you can't discipline your hands and your eyes or your feet, it would be better for you to get rid of some eyes or feet or hands rather than to, than to suffer the, the, uh, the contrary consequences. So he says rather than having two hands or two feet be cast into everlasting fire. If you can't discipline yourself, to that extent, then then it'd be better off you didn't have hands or feet. But at any rate, we'll continue on in verse 9. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, uh, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. How thank ye if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if it be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Don't be a gossiper. Go tell him. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here is one particular passage in the book of Matthew that's concerning itself with the church. And this is a forward look at the church. There's no question about that. Jesus dies on the cross opening the door for forgiveness of sins and entrance into the body of Christ, which is a separate study that we'll do in another class. But this certainly is a forward look into the time when Christ will have died, been buried, rose again, and is performing not only Christ himself, but his followers are performing the ministry that uh, Christ will ultimately leave them there to do and so to believe that there is no instruction for the church in the book of Matthew Mark and Luke is to ignore certain passages in the passage now I've just made a statement that deals with with a, a what is known as as dispensationalism and so that's that brings in much heavier content than we want to get in into this passage so but this is a forward look into the church no question about that and direction for the church no doubt about that even though it is in a passage of scripture that's directed at the nation of israel a whole book that's directed at the nation of israel oh that's a whole lot to think about but let's move on verse number 20 He says, uh, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, we know that even as individuals, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we know that just one person uh, can be saved and his salvation is not dependent on two people being present or three people being present. And God's meeting with an individual does not depend on... uh, two or three people being present. I can pray and commune with God, read my Bible, commune with God at any time that I choose to do that. Uh, But here again is a forward look into the church. And this verse is significant for the church in that we don't have to have five or 50 or 500 members to be considered a congregation of the Lord. Two or three people can be gathered together and God will honor that and meet with them just as he would a church that had 5,000 members. Verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Pretty generous fellow, huh? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seven times, uh, 70 times seven. That's 490 if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, therefore, if the kingdom of heaven, uh, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should have paid that until he should pay, pardon me, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. All right, great passage of scripture, and we'll pick up next time in chapter number 19.